Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Okay, guys, so uh, last week, man, I told you, just to imagine, using your sanctified imagination, if you could, um, and just imagine that when you walked in these doors this morning, again, there were just a bunch of signs everywhere that you had no idea what they meant. And up here on this stage, we had tons of signs. There were signs with all kinds of little symbols on them, signs of all kinds of markings on them, all kinds of things, and and we were just pointing you to them and trying to get you excited about that, and you were like not really clicking with that. And then instead of uh, just a couple of these folks up here singing, uh, man, numerous people in the room just started singing up all at the same time, just singing a different solo. I mean, belting that thing out, just screaming it. And then while that was going on, some of the people in the church that had the gift of teaching, they just stood up and they started going to kind of different corners. Somebody jumped over here in the baptistry. One guy jumped over here behind the keyboard. Another was hanging out over there by the Christmas tree. One guy was laying here on the floor. And they were just all teaching whatever it was that they were teaching. And then a couple other people said, hey, man, I've got a revelation from God. And about 20, 25 other people stood up and they're all just talking about this. Thus saith the Lord. And all this stuff is just going on all at the same time. It's total chaos in this room. Nobody knows what's going on. And then another 25 to 30 people started standing up and just speaking this gibberish that none of us knew what they were saying. And everybody's like, Pastor, what is going on? And I'm like, well, man, welcome. So glad you guys had a great time. You are dismissed. Everybody's looking at me. Like, I have absolutely lost my mind. Last week, I referenced that maybe I'd been to California or Colorado and got some of those special brownies, right? You know, you know people are like, man, have you, have you lost touch with reality? And here would be your probably main concern, is I went to church and I didn't understand a thing. That's exactly what was going on in Corinth. And welcome to the average Corinthian church experience. So Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 14, and he says, listen, you guys are completely out of order. You guys are completely just missing the whole point of what's supposed to happen when we are assembled. Somebody would say to me, man, well, um, man, we've never really had that, and yeah, we're right, we're we're never really going to have that. Some people are like, I don't really like organized religion. I don't really know what you mean by that, but if you mean an ordered religion, then you don't like the religion of the Bible because church service is really an ordered thing. I don't know if you've really noticed that or not. Prescribe ways that we do things because we find them in the Scripture that way. So God is a God of order, so He kind of likes that. So Paul's saying, last time we, we talked about this, we talked about part one of when we're assembled. Paul really says, hey, I'm going to use the gift of tongues And I'm going to show you what it looks like to be in order by using that as an illustration. I'm going to tell you its purpose. I'm going to let you know what what it's there for. And we talked about that, that it was really a sign to unbelieving Jews. It was the purpose of tongues. This morning, Paul is going to continue with what we're supposed to do when we're assembled. He's going to use tongues yet again, but he's going to tell us how church should operate by telling us the procedure of tongues. 
Now we've got the purpose, now we need to look at the procedure. So I wonder if you would just stay to your feet again, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, man, I pray to the Lord Jesus Christ that, that you would ask us for one of those. Pastor Justin, whom prayed a little bit earlier before I did right here, I mean, we have Bibles to give to you, study Bibles, I mean, nice Bibles. If you want one of those, please see him after service. We'd love for you to have those. They're in the seat pockets underneath the chairs around you. It'll be back here on the screen, but let's, let's listen to what the Lord says this morning. Again, I'm going to read verses 20 through 28, but we're going to specifically look at the latter half of those verses this morning. Brethren, don't be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but be mature in your thinking. He says, in the law, remember we talked about this, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for what, church? For a sign. Watch this. Not to those who believe, right? But to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, here's the purpose. If the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever and ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. This morning we'll pick back up in verse 26. So what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, here's what's happening. One has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation, Here's Paul's point. Let all things be done for what? Finish it. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at most three, and each in turn and only one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. You may be seated. And again, I pray that the Lord will bless his word this morning. Last week, we kind of covered this. I'm not going to preach it again to you, but just by way of review, when we're gathered, we should seek scriptural substance, not spiritual signs. Right? So when we're gathered together, we're not looking for somebody to speak and to pretend that they're all spiritual by speaking in tongues. That's not what we're seeking. Because if they did that and nobody's interpreting that, it's just a bunch of nonsense and nobody's edified. A lot of people look spiritual, but there's no substance to it. So we talked about that. When we gather together, that's why Paul says when, when prophecy is given, he's convicted. And he's convinced in his heart of the things that are true. And he, and he, and he, and he falls on his face and he becomes a believer in the Lord. So the, the, the idea here when we gather together is we've got to preach this substance and not focus on, on that spiritual just, uh. Secondly, here's where we're going to go this morning. Here's the new material. When we're gathered, we should seek structured edification, not spiritual embellishment. Structured edification, not spiritual embellishment. Verse 26, he says this. He says, let all things be done for edification. Edification is so important. We've been talking about this, but yet in Corinth, the process of Procedure of edification to come to a screeching halt. Edification wasn't happening in the Corinthian church because there was so much confusion and chaos. So Paul was trying, he said, hey, listen, let's come to a halt to that. Let's do, put a halt to all this counterfeit 
embellishment of spiritual things, all this confusion, and let's bring this thing back to a system of order that would grant you edification. Now, you'll remember that in our study, these first 25 verses, Paul has detailed some doctrine about tongues and prophesying. He's laid out some principles about how these things should function, the purpose and their position. He's clearly given us this theological understanding that we've covered. So now in verse 26, he builds on that theological explanation with practical exhortation. He's even doing what he's telling the people to do. In other words, since this is theologically true of these gifts, now this is the way you should practically operate in the church. The Bible, particularly the New Testament epistles, which means the letters in the New Testament, never ask for a behavior without first giving a reason. In other words, because this is true about God, now this is how you should act. Think about it with me, just for example, really quickly in the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 11, you have deep theology there. There's nothing required of you. There's nothing asked of you. He's even exhorting you to do anything. But finally, after 11 solid chapters of theology and doctrine, you come to chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Therefore... Based on all that theology, now present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And from 12 through 16 Romans, it tells you, do this, do this, do this. Based on what? Because of the mercies of God that he's just covered in chapters 1 through 11. So the Bible always enjoins behavior on the basis of doctrine. Paul has given us 25 verses of doctrine in 1 Corinthians 14, and now he's going to give some remaining verses of exhortation in response to that doctrine. Therefore, that's why I took all the time to make sure that we understood the right doctrine. Because if we don't understand the right doctrine, we will not get the right practice. So when we're gathered, we should seek structured edification, not spiritual embellishment. In our verses this morning, we see a very systematic procedure by which the worship of church is to function. So Paul says, hey, after you guys are doing all this stuff, what is the outcome then? I mean, after all I've just said about you, all the confusion and the chaos and the madness in your assembly, has anything productive happened? I mean, when you assemble, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has an interpretation. So just stop there just for a minute. Paul's saying this, how is it knowing what you know about the foolishness of confusion that you guys are continuing to do all these things and all at the same time and the same place at the very same hour? How is that that even possible? Now, he's not calling for them, for everyone to have a psalm, everyone to have a teaching, everyone to have a revelation, everyone to have interpretation. That's not what he's doing. He's not telling them that that's what they should do. He's telling them that's what they are doing. So it's incredible how much chaos is going on. Everybody was competing for preeminence and prominence, and everybody was just using their gifts, whether they were false or whether they were true, and this mishmash, something like you had the United Nations there, and everybody just standing up shouting speeches and songs in their own languages, and nobody knew what was happening. Matter of fact, it went to the extent that Paul says, if unbelievers walked in your church, they would say that you're mad. Let's see what they were doing. Verse 26, he says, when you come together. Well, that's a phrase that indicates the church. The church happens when we gather. Y'all know this, the church isn't this building, right? Y'all know that the church happens when we gather. It's very important that we gather. 
Anybody agree that it's important that we gather? Amen. All right, I got some people going to preach with me this morning. All right, I like that. So when it comes together, as we are, we come together to worship and to fellowship. And Paul says, when you come together, each one of you has a psalm. When you see the word psalms, you often think of the Old Testament psalms, and that's okay. But, but a fuller, more complete understanding of that word is that psalms are really, it's the word for song, S-O-N-G. In fact, literally, it means a song sung to the accompaniment of an instrument, which is why we sing songs according to the accompaniment of instruments, by the way. Not just because it's cool, <laughs> because that's what we see in the Scripture. So what you had here was everybody coming together, and they were singing a solo with some of their own instruments all at the same time, and it was chaotic. Everybody who wanted to sing a solo just stood up and started to sing. And you may have maybe some talented people like Nathan over there picking on some little instrument going along with it. Somebody over here is playing the spoons because they're from West Virginia. I don't know. I can say that. (laughs) Can you imagine the chaos that was going down? Now, psalms were a common part of Christian worship. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs, the Bible talks about those. And the music ministry is not something that's been added later to the church. You'll find it from the very time, the very first time the church began to meet. It's always been a part of Christian experience, singing. It's a wonderful part. But in Corinth, it had become a point of pride. And everybody was trying to outsing everybody else because they wanted to look more spiritual than everybody else. They wanted to embellish their spirituality. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, every one of you has a teaching simply can be translated a doctrine. Everybody wanted to exercise the gift of teaching. Everybody who thought he had a a little bit of a gift of teaching would just kind of stand up in his own corner and just give his own lesson. So over top of all the 150 people singing solos, there were these another 150 people teaching something. And then the next one in the Greek says they had a revelation. And then all these people were just standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Well, how am I supposed to listen to you and the person over here teaching and the person singing at the same time? Well, on top of that, I got people with a tongue. <laughs> there were people with a legitimate gift of tongue standing up, but it was the wrong expression in the wrong place at the wrong time. But really, Paul is emphasizing the, the mumbling gibberish. So all these people then, now, all these people were were speaking in tongues, and then you had a bunch of people trying to stand up and interpret. I mean, you you think that this is is like, this couldn't be happening. No, this literally was happening in the Corinthian church. So all these people were trying to figure out, well, what's the right interpretation? Then they started fighting over, well, I think it means this. Well, no, it really means that. Well, no, it means this. Well, I don't like his teaching. Well, I don't like her singing. And you can just tell where it went from there. So, of course, unbelievers came in and they said, you guys are crazy. Well, of course they're crazy. So Paul says in verse 26, he just kind of summarizes it. He just kind of spanks them, if you will. And he says, listen, because enough of this. Everything that's done in church has to be done for edification. Look, the way to resolve all this is to make sure that we build up one another. He's going to tell them how. Really, three big pictures come to his mind 
about, about through the Holy Spirit about the structure of the church to the Corinthians. And the first thing is this, the regulation of tongues. He talks about the regulation of tongues. So he says, first of all, in order to edify, we have to follow a procedure for the true gift of languages. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, again, if anyone, and again, you have a, a singular incident here, speaks in a tongue, this is that true gift. So Paul's not going to try to regulate gibberish. He's saying, if you have the true gift of tongue, if anyone speaks with the true gift of tongues, it should be by two or at most three. I mean, this gift is to be regulated. Not everybody's supposed to be talking in tongues because not everybody has the gift of tongues. And people aren't supposed to teach other people how to speak in tongues because you can't teach people to have a spiritual gift. Beloved, let me mention this. Like every other gift that's been given by the Holy Spirit, they're subject to the control of the possessor. (laughs) I have the gift of preaching, at least I think I do. It's supposed to be under control. (laughs) Like every other gift, the Holy Spirit never does anything through somebody who's out of control. Let me go ahead and say it because it needs to be said. The Holy Spirit is never involved when people are flipped out, just flopping on the floor. The Holy Spirit is not at work when people are getting slain in the Spirit. That's not what's happening in the Bible. The Spirit of God ministers the gifts of the Spirit, even in apostolic times, in a time of controlled behavior, not out of control like the pagans, because one of the signs of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So how can I have the fruit of the Spirit and be speaking in the Spirit if I'm out of control? Galatians 5.22.3 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit, fruit singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what does it say, church? Self-control. So these tongues were not not pagan ecstasies and out of the control of the individual. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't get out of control. You actually get in control. These are the gifts of the Spirit, and they were ministered with people in control. Consequently, they can be regulated. They have principles of use that can be applied and people can respond to them. Now, the people with the real gift of languages, maybe somebody in the congregation would let them know that there's an unbelieving Jew there and that the unbelieving Jew spoke such and such of a language. Well, that person would look around and say, well, okay, there's somebody who's an unbelieving Jew. You have the gift of tongues. Let me go see if there's an interpreter. And so in the right place at the right time, the one with the gift of languages would speak that language, a language unknown to him, but known to that Jewish unbeliever that was present. And therefore the message would reach that Jewish person. The interpreter would interpret it for the entire congregation and everybody would be edified. Tongues are to be regulated. But then he says the restriction of tongues. He talks about the restriction. He says there, and if you look in your text, He says, and it should be by two or at most three and each in turn, and one must interpret. He says here, never, never more than two, and at the very most three. It was a gift reserved for those special times when an unbelieving Jew was there, those special times when an interpreter was there, those special times and those alone, and never should it occur more than having any three people, more than three people at any time. That's the restriction. 
So I, I would just add this. That's not true of most charismatic tongues that, that are going on today. They don't have such limitations. They don't limit them on the basis of an unbelieving Jew being present. They don't limit them on the basis of it being a, a legitimate language. And they definitely don't limit it to two or three. Now, some may, in most cases, but not true of all those, engage in true tongues. And so what you have today is much of the Corinthian problem all over again and ignores these basic features that Paul's already talked about. Another restriction is that each in turn, now in the Greek, you have to know this. That's why you have me to help you. I don't know that you should know this, but I'm telling you this. In the Greek, it's, it's something put there for emphasis. It switches the word order. And in Greek, to, to make sure that something gets the emphasis it has, it puts something where it shouldn't be to draw your attention to it. And that means, he says, in each in turn. The Greek means in turn, in order or sequence. In other words, what's going on here is, is the Corinthians were involved in simultaneous expression where everybody was doing it all at the same time, and that's forbidden. So Paul says, no. Let me tell you, each one is to do it in turn, not all at the same time. I want to show you something that most people miss. Look there in verse 27. At the very end, he says, and how many must interpret? My Bible says one. Many people will miss that. And the Greek is emphasizing this for a reason. And it says, interpret only one. It doesn't say in the Greek, one must interpret. It says, interpret only one. It's doing it for emphasis. Not two, not five, not seven, not 14, only one. Because in the Corinthian church, you had a great contest going on, and everybody wanted to gain all this spirituality. I mean, people think that they were just spiritual based on how they can interpret. So Paul says, I'm going to settle that for you. At least only two or three at most, always in sequence, and only one is allowed to interpret. And that kind of should settle it. So then the obvious question is, okay, if only one person can interpret, what if that person is sick that day? Wow. Well, he answers that question, doesn't he? That's where we come to the third principle, the reservation of tongues. The reservation of tongues. Look there in verse 28. He says, but if there is... No interpreter, again, it's singular, right? He doesn't say if, if there aren't interpreters. He says, if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So if you've got the gift and an unbelieving Jew is there, and that would be the right time and the right place for that to use it, but, but you look around and there's no interpreter there, now you have to sit in silence. And somebody's going to say, well, man, that, that, that could be a great evangelistic tool. I mean, who's going to share the gospel with this unbelieving Jew? But God says, if nobody's there to translate, then nobody should speak. Because it can't edify the entire body. And so you just have to drop it. When you have 1,500 people all speaking in tongues, you know who gets edified? Nobody. But it's self-edification. I mean, it's just between me and God. Well, that's Paul's whole point. This isn't about your edification. It's about our edification. 
So if there's no interpreter, you know what that teaches me? Watch this. It teaches me that they knew who had the true gift of interpretation. And if that person wasn't there, the only alternative was for everybody that had that gift to be quiet. There's never a case of tongues anywhere in the Bible that is not understandable to somebody. And if such a case that even they should present themselves in the church, he says, if there's no interpreter, you should be quiet. So I'd say that regulates tongues pretty well, and it probably would end 95% of the current movement if we really just looked at it. So what you have today, I believe, is just Corinth all over. It's the same thing happening again and again. Everybody doing what they want to do, and nobody's interpreting, and it just doesn't matter. We just do it anyway because we just want to seem so spiritual. We just want to embellish this thing and just make it look like God is in this place. And Paul said, no, we need structured edification. Verse 26, he says, let all things be done for edification. Again, if you weren't here last week, that word means literally to build an edifice. You hear it in the word edification, an edifice, a house. It means to build a house, an edifice. So when we build one another up, figuratively, it means to grow one another, to improve one another, to mature one another, to build each other up. And as believers, that's the call on our lives. We're supposed to help mature each other, to build one another up, to help each other to fullness and to wholeness. Uh, there's tons of scripture. I'll only give you a few. First Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're doing. Romans 14.19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. And so you see, when we're assembled, we're to edify one another, we're to build up one another. And what is the thing that does that every single time? What is it? What's the only thing that, that, that builds us up every time we hear it? It's this book right here, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. Amen? This is it. Because God has written in this Word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You know what God said? He said, all scripture is theopnostos. It is inspired by God, breathed out by God. And it's profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, adequate and equipped for every good work. You know what that tells me? The Bible is the only thing that tells me, this is, this is not mine, this is not original with me, but, but I'm going to pretend that it is. If that, but this book tells me, it tells me what's right, it tells me what's not right, it tells me how to get right, and it tells me how to stay right. That's what's going down here. And this book is what we should be speaking to one another. Building one another in mean, the most holy faith. That's what we're supposed to do. And you and I are supposed to be skilled in it. You guys, I don't know if you watch these shows, but you ever watch these home improvement shows? Anybody watch those? I feel very sorry for you, but still. My wife would invite you over to watch those all day, 24 hours a day. I would watch them, but my wife gets ideas. I'm mean, just telling you, it's bad news for me. But you ever, you ever, like, I just watch a few of those, and here's something I've noticed that's really cool. When those shows come on, and they go to do something like some kind of crazy remodel, everybody is stoked for demo day. 
I mean, like even the wives get in on that, man. They put on them goggles. They got their hard hats. They get their gloves. They bring a sledgehammer. And man, it is like, who doesn't want to use a sledgehammer to blow up stuff or tear down stuff and smash stuff? It is awesome. Everybody's so stoked for demo day. But man, I do not see that same kind of excitement when they look under the floor and they're like, oh no, we got to replace the whole stinking floor. Man, I'm sorry, man, but your roof and, man, the structure up there, we're going to have to replace the whole roof. That's going to cost you another thirty-five grand. I mean, nobody's excited to start doing the building. And I'm just telling you, man, human nature is like that. We love demo day in the church. We love to tear down people. We just find it fun. I mean, who wouldn't like, you know? People gossiping about people, people slandering one another, people just saying things about one another. I mean, we, we like to do that in the church. I mean, demo day is awesome. But man, when we got to get to the hard work of building something back up, that's where we struggle. And that's really what Paul's trying to say, man. We need to build one another up. That's what we're here to do. Listen, did you know that you can tear down in one minute what took somebody 10 years to build? Right? I mean, think about it, man. If my mom and dad have been speaking great things into my life and I'm 16 years of age, and you come along and you say one thing to me about my weight, guess what that could probably do to me? You guys understand this, right? And one simple phrase, man, I could undo 16 years of what some parents have tried to do. James says words have power, don't they? So Ephesians 4.29, we're the Christian group building 4.29. This is where they got their name, building 4.29. Watch where they get it. It says, so let no unwholesome word. I've heard this done too many times in churches. Let me just go ahead and help you. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to cuss. That's elsewhere. This right here is not talking about not cussing, although you can make the application. Listen to what it's really saying. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification. According to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know what an unwholesome word is? An unwholesome word is anything that's said that doesn't build up somebody else. That's what an unwholesome word is. And in the church, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be using our words to build up. We're supposed to be using our words to speak, to build up. And then we're supposed to be at the need of the moment. So I have to be sensitive. I have to be looking for the needs that are around me so that I can minister in that moment. And lastly, when I, when I do that, that's how God's using me to give grace to them. We want to be builders and edifiers, right? I mean, I remember reading about this English student he was a foreign exchange student. He was working on his suffixes, and he, he reasoned. He said, well, if acidification means to make something more acidic, and if humidification means to make something more humid, and if solidification means to make something more solid, then edification means to make people more like Ed. No, I, I think that edification means that we make people more like Jesus. Right? 
I want to speak things into you that build you up so that you can look more and more like Christ. So when we're assembled, there's some instructions. Don't seek spiritual embellishment. Don't seek all that just fancy stuff, just adding all this spiritual stuff, all these songs. Don't do all that. Like, just seek structured edification and do it how God's asking. Hey, hey, Nate and you guys, one of y'all come. So I want to do something a little different right now and by way of invitation. I want to right now, if you would just join me and, and intently pray this prayer. I want you to pray something. I want you to ask the Lord right now, is there somebody right now in my life that needs to hear a word of edification? So I want you just to do that right now. Just go to the Lord. You can bow your heads. You don't have to. Speak to the Lord from your heart and say, God, right now, is there somebody in my world that needs a word of edification? Do that right now. Pray about it. Just ask him, Lord, who who is it? Who do you want me to build up today? think you may have somebody in your mind because here's what I know, man. If you ever go to the Lord and ask him that question, I know God's not going to come back and say, no, I think you're all good. I think you've covered everybody. I don't think that's what's going to happen. So here's what I want you to do right now. And, and I, some of you may think this is dishonoring. I just don't think so. But, but you don't have to if you feel that this is a, a thing on your conscience. I understand that. Wanna right now would you just take out your phone and would you text them or email them a word of edification right now? Let's not be just hearers of the word, but let's be doers. Because here's the thing: when you get to lunch, you're probably gonna forget what I've asked you to do. Do it right now. If the Lord has spoken, send it right now. Right now in this moment. Just go ahead, take it out, do it. Those of you who don't feel comfortable doing that or you're just not whatever, man, I challenge you to go old school when you get home and break out a piece of paper or a note card. Just handwrite a word of edification to somebody. Maybe you want to make a phone call. And you can just use it. Just say that, hey, listen, I was in church this morning. And man, the Lord Jesus just laid me on your heart. I want to love you better. I really want to love you with his love. And here's what he wanted me to share with you. To students in this room, and that could be elementary school all the way up to high school to even those of you in college, I want you to listen to me right now. Listen, zone in. Who are all the kids talking bad about in school? Who are the students that nobody else wants to hang out with? Who are the ones that most people wouldn't want to be seen dead with? 
Who are the ones that would instantly tear down your social status if you were to hang out with for about a minute? Here's my question to you. If you as a member of the body of Christ don't build them up, who will? So when you go to school tomorrow, who is the person that you know needs to be built up? And would you intentionally go to them and speak a word to build them up? I'm not asking you to become friends. I'm not asking you to go deeper than that. I'm just asking you to be the one that would be a, a change maker in their life. In this day and age of bullying and all that stuff in the schools, and I'm telling you, you want to reach your school, just be an edifier. Be that person. So in your family right now, who in your family, man, has kind of been cast out? <laughs> Who's the person on your job right now that really needs to be edified? Let's think about it even more real here. Is there somebody in this congregation right now that you know needs a good word from the Lord? Here's what I'm going to do, man. I'm going to have you stand up in just a second and I'm going to pray. If you believe that there's somebody in this room right here in, in where you can see that may need a word, I'm going to ask you while we're singing just to go to them and share that word of edification. So now would you rise your feet? Let me pray. And we'll sing and we'll edify one another in the Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I beg you today to speak through us, to build people up, to make them look more like Jesus. Let us love people with our words. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hear the Savior say,